Jesus, would you uh, take these words that we're going to look at and sink them into our hearts in such a way that it actually changes who we are, changes our character. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. Good morning to those of you here in person. Good morning to those of you, uh, well, hello to you uh, joining us online in the podcast. You're part of our family as well. We're so glad that you are worshiping with us. Um, we're talking in this series uh, about certain words, uh, words that you often hear in religious settings, uh, at church settings, maybe at a summer camp, things like that. And uh, these words, we're kind of trying to get into their dip- deeper meaning. And so the sermon series is called, But What Does It Mean? But what does it mean? Same kind of question my, many of my college professors ask when I turn in a research paper. Mm, but what does it mean? I don't quite understand. No, that wasn't funny. I'm going to cut that for 11. <laughs> but um, what does it mean? And, and the word we're looking at today specifically is salvation. Salvation, which is a word I'm sure you have heard in some context or another. Again, maybe inside the church, maybe from a televangelist seeking some money. Uh, salvation. It's a common word we hear in this setting. But what does it mean? And I don't know about you, but I haven't spent much time thinking about my salvation in a while, to be honest. Uh, It's not something that I'm regularly dwelling upon. Uh, But as a kid, I used to think about it a lot and, and, and had a lot of these kind of questions, and maybe you can relate. I used to wonder, am I really saved? How do I know if I'm really saved. After all, I know some of the things I've done since being saved and they don't seem very saved-like. How do I know if I'm saved? What about my friends and family members who I'm not quite sure they're saved? Or what, what does that mean? What does that look like? If they're not saved, does that mean I'll never see them again after I die? I don't know if you've had any of those questions before. But these questions came up for me a lot when I was a kid. And, and so every time... Uh, You know, maybe like during summer camp or things like that, I'd be reintroduced to this word salvation. It would really send me into a panic, to be honest. And there were especially two strong impressions I had of salvation when I was a kid. Two strong impressions. The first impression was this. Salvation was slippery in that you could pray for it, ask God for it. He would give it to you. But then if you really screwed up, did something really bad, it could slip right out of your fingers. You could just take it back. I'm taking that back. I've got the gift receipt. It's coming with me, right? It was slippery. It it could just fall away if I did something wrong. And so I went to a lot of Christian summer camps and retreats, and every every one of those has this kind of like commitment night. If you've been, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's like lots of music and built it up, and the kids are so exhausted. They're just, yes, anything. Please, God. And, (laughs) and, And every time on those nights, I would pray once again to receive Jesus into my heart. Um. Because I wanted to be sure, because what if it didn't stick last time, you know? And often in the, that context, they call that sort of thing a recommitment, you know? It's kind of like re-upping for another couple of years, like your cell phone contract kind of thing. <laughs> and so I would make sure I do that because I, I thought it might be slipping away. So that, that first impression was salvation was kind of flighty. Like, yeah, it was mine for now, as long as I didn't blow it down the road, the second impression I had about, about salvation was that it was all about being saved from hell. Being saved from hell. And hell was something I was constantly afraid of as a younger Christian. Part of it was because of a prayer that, that many of you know as well that goes like this. Now I lay me down to sleep. 
I pray the Lord my soul to keep, and if I die, what? Before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. This is a horrible prayer. <laughs> when, I, when I heard this prayer, I mean, first of all, it's like, okay, I got like a 50-50 chance of making it through the ninth. And if, I, if I'm going to die, like I've got another 50-50 chance that I'm, either God's going to get my soul or the devil's going to get my soul. And I haven't slept well since I was six, pretty much, because of this prayer, right? It puts this image in us of this same kind of hell-driven salvation. I better pray this prayer. Now, the Bible describes hell in a few different ways, and I'm not going to get into any technicalities. In fact, this isn't a deep dive into the word salvation, it's more of like practically, how, how do we live this out in real time? But, but it describes hell in a few different ways. The big constant theme, though, is that it's separation from God. It's an existence apart from God. We've all experienced a sense of that at times, haven't we? A sense of being cut off from God, like where is God, especially when we had a sense of closeness to him and now he's not there. That is an experience of hell. We've all had a taste of those kinds of experiences. It's very much like that feeling you have when it's like December 19th and you're trying to find a parking space at Bellevue Square. It's a little taste of eternity without God, isn't it? There's an amen back there. I appreciate that. Not only was I scared of hell, I was very scared for my friends and my family members. Because if this is a reality of like of their, their eternal separation, their eternal being tortured, all this horrible imagery, if this, is, if this is a reality, I better do everything I can to keep them out of hell. As though somehow I had the power to do that. And even as a six-year-old boy, this is the absolute truth, I felt a tremendous burden to say the right things and to do the right things to keep people out of hell. That's kind of a heavy load for a six-year-old. And I've told this story a couple of times, but it sort of makes the point um, so I'm going to tell it again. When I was in kindergarten, I would walk around the playground, and I would go up to friends, and I would ask them if they liked the rock band Kiss. I'd heard at the time Kiss stood for Knights in Satan's Service. I asked them if they liked the rock band Kiss, and if they said yes, I told them they were going to hell. <laughs> I don't know why I didn't have a lot of friends at this time. But it was that real to me. This is a, real, this is a true story. Six-year-old Jesse walking around telling people they're going to hell. They keep listening to this. By the way, of course that's true if you listen to Kiss. No, it's not true at all. Not true at all. That was my reality. This was a real thing. Never mind, again, that, that a six-year-old should be carrying this burden, the sense of, like, it's up to me to save everybody. The point was my impression of salvation was directly tied to being saved from hell. And I believe that for many of us today, God wants to disconnect this idea of salvation from fear, and he wants to reconnect this idea of salvation to joy, to joy. Remove the fear, replace that with joy, because joy ultimately is what our salvation is tended, intended to produce. Now, to define this, salvation simply means we're saved from something bad for something good. Saved from something bad for something good. What's the bad that we're saved from? Well, yes, some kind of hell, absolutely. But hell in its many forms as well. 
I remember being in graduate school studying psychology. We were learning about child abuse. And we learned that the worst kind of child abuse was not beating a child. It was not sexually violating a child, though those things are awful. Those things are absolutely awful. The worst thing was to neglect that child. That always had the deepest, most long-lasting impression, impact on a kid, to neglect them, to leave them to their own devices, no caring, no nurturing, no protection, no provision. That had the most damaging effect. That is truly hell. Hell is also the experience of being afraid all the time. Whether it's because you're not sure about your future, you're not sure about your present, you're worried your past is going to catch up with you, living in fear all the time, that's a form of hell. A form of hell is being so deep in debt that you're losing sleep about it. You're constantly fighting with your spouse about it. You feel like you're never going to get out of it. It feels hopeless. That's a kind of hell. It can be an experience of hell to live a life that feels meaningless. Like, why am I doing, why am I here? What is the point? It can be that experience of feeling insignificant. Like, would anybody miss me if I were gone? That's a kind of hell for sure. Many of us know that experience. All of that is hell and the very kind of hell Jesus came to save us from. And as I've gotten older, in fact, I've, I've realized more and more the, the hell that Jesus wants to save me from. What he really wants to save me from is me. He wants to save us from ourselves. When I think about how selfish I can be, how greedy and demanding I can be, when I think about my uncontrolled anger that sometimes just flares up, always at the wrong people at the wrong time, my tendency to just walk away from God, my tendency to drift. When I think about that stuff, I'm like, yeah. Maybe you can relate to that kind of stuff. I mean, the hell that we put ourselves through and put others through is extraordinary. And of course, we see evidence of this in every headline of every news feed in every part of the world every day. This is so much of our reality because, you see, hell isn't some cartoon place with flames and guys in red suits dancing around. That's not it. Hell is a life without the hope of Jesus, without the hope of Jesus. And we know those experiences. We've been in those places. Maybe some of you are in that place right now. It feels like, I don't have that hope right now. So what are we saved from? We're saved from ourselves, a life without meaning and without purpose. From a life of isolation from God and from others, we're saved from these things. And salvation means hell has no more claim on who we are and who we're becoming. It doesn't. It doesn't have any claim on us. Even though we experience the effects of hell and we're working alongside Jesus to reverse those things, to revive those things, hell no longer has any claim on us, period. It is finished. That's good news. That's a reason for joy. For joy. We are not lost. We have been found. And for those of us who might be wondering, is this, is this true for me? Am I saved? I believe Jesus wants to give you a supernatural assurance that he has chosen you, that he has called you to be his, that you are his forever child, and so you no longer need to worry about that. Just put that fear out of your mind. Don't have to worry about it. What a reason to rejoice. What a reason for joy. But that's, it, gets, it gets better. Because it's only half the story. That's what we've been saved from. What have we been saved 
for? What are we saved for? This was an idea that I had never heard of until I was in my late 20s. And at the time, I was, I was living and working in California, and I was working for this young pastor. And uh, to kind of protect his identity, I'll just say his name rhymes with Stott Mudley. <laughs> and Stott was the first person to... I know it sounds like our senior pastor, Scott Dudley, is a different person. Um, Stott was the first person to introduce me to that idea that, that we're not just saved from something, we're saved for something. That I wasn't just pulled from the jaws of death, but I was also given the keys to life. Life in its absolute fullest. This was unheard of to me. I'd been in the church my whole life. I was saved for life. I was saved for friendships. I was saved for a sense of deep meaning in my life, in the work that I did, in the ways that I moved in the world. I was saved to make an impact in the world, to co-create new, better things with him. I was saved for these things. Joy, joy. Salvation means that we matter no matter what. Our life matters no matter what. Salvation, joy is the result. This is why David, King David, after he commits this ridiculous crime, has this adulterous affair with Bathsheba, then has his, her husband murdered to cover that thing up. Remember, man after God's own heart and how he, that's, whoa, that's heavy stuff. When he finally comes to his senses and and owns what he's done, he says, God, restore to me the joy of thy salvation. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, God. Restore to me that joy. Because I've lost it. I haven't lost my salvation. I've lost that joy, that sense of like... Being thankful of, of like, can't help it out of the overflow of what I've been saved from. I, I Bring that joy back. Help me to remember what that means. Help that to take over everything that I'm doing. That joy. David also in that moment recognizes that, that salvation, it's, it's God's salvation, a gift to him. It's not thank you for my salvation. That's how I would tend to think of it. It's thank you for your salvation. Thank you for this gift. Because only God can work out our salvation. Only God can, can make it happen, whether that's in a moment over some time. I don't know exactly how that works, but only God can do that. It's a gift that only he can give. It is completely up to him. Now, there's this other big word that we sometimes use in church. That's called sanctification. That means God is making us, cleaning us up, making us more like him, making us, uh, helping us live more fully into the salvation that we've already been given. That's, that's, that's something we have a role in, absolutely. But this gift of salvation, when you get a gift, you just open your hands and you receive it. That's it. And I don't know where you're at. I mean, some of you are in that place of like, I'm not sure that I am, or I'm not sure what this stuff is. Like, Jesus says, and long before there was any like, specific prayer to pray, like people were still being saved. Actually, before Jesus, people were still being saved. Like, God can work in all these kinds of different ways. And, and, and he says, don't worry about those things. Like, just open your hands. Open up your life a little bit. Make some space. I'll meet you there. Let's, let's go. I'll meet you there. Joy is the result of this gift. Joy is the result of this gift. I remember uh, being a kid and, and being at this park that was like by this really fast-moving river, and it was like the sun was going down. I was there with family and friends and all that kind of thing, and I was playing on the dock right on the river, and I kicked something over, and somehow the, the, the current got my foot and pulled me right under the, 
the dock. So I remember even just, I think I was like seven or eight years old, I remember I could see, here's the dock, I'm moving beneath, and I could see light out there, and I just remember being totally at peace, thinking, okay, God, if this is it, this is it, I'm, I'm fine with that. I was a very mature kid, as I think about it now. Um, a lot more mature than I am now, to be honest. Um, but I remember coming up the other side and experiencing joy, and experiencing relief, and experiencing gratitude for the person who happened to be on the other side and pulled me out. This makes sense. When we're, we're saved from something, yeah, joy, joy marks things. And, and there's a couple of things about joy that I think are very significant for us and for us today. And this is what I think helps us make sense of what salvation means for us in the right here and the right now, joy. Two things about joy. First of all, it's not based on our circumstances, right? That's happiness. Happiness connected to happenstance. It's connected to our circumstances. I want more happiness, but... There's a lot of circumstances I don't get to control. But joy, joy is rooted in this confidence that no matter what is going on in my life, no matter how unclear things seem, no matter how painful things are, in the end, this is going to be okay. It's absolutely going to be okay. In fact, there will be a day, a day is coming, when hell and the effects of hell will absolutely cease to exist. And they will be as though they never existed. That day is coming. Our hope is in the God who has secured that for us, who has overcome sin and death so that that is our reality. And the reality of anybody who wants to just say, "Uh, yeah, that sounds good. I'll take that no matter what. That's the first thing about joy. It defies our circumstances. The second thing is this. It's contagious. It's absolutely contagious. I don't know if you've had that experience of Maybe watching a funny movie or something with, with friends and something funny happens on the screen and your first instinct is like, get eye contact with somebody else. Like, that's, that's funny, right? Have you ever done that like when you're by yourself and you feel weird and awkward? <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> joy wants to be shared. It's the nature of joy. It can't not want to be shared. Joy is contagious. And God intends for the joy of our salvation to be that defining mark of us. Not that we know all these tenets of like, here's how I can prove it. Not here's all the scriptures that kind of represent the fact that I'm, here's, here's the evidence for how I am, that those things are all fine. But ultimately, it's, it's joy in the face of all that's going on. That's, that's what sets us apart. That's what marks us as his kids. That's how he wants to demonstrate his love to the world so often. Again, not a feeling, more of a decision. Reminder, like, okay, God's got this. Got this now, and he's got this forever. I can have joy. Imagine what that would do to the whole political ridiculousness that's going on. If instead of, like, trying to defend our point, trying to get this person in, that person out, of trying to, like, just roast somebody's character, if, if, instead of all that, what if we just, like, joy? What would it look like in your own workplace or at your school, in your family? If you weren't trying to, like, fight to prove your point, fight to show, oh, I'm saved. Oh, this is what it means. I'm sa- mm. Grit your teeth. Demonstrate your salvation. Grit your teeth. What is that? What if it was that overflow of joy, that overflow? That in the midst of everything that's going on, in the midst of the stuff that doesn't make sense, your father has come to you and has given you a free gift. Why? Because he loves you. He can't help himself. 
And he, and he desires to give you so much joy that it literally overflows into everyone's life that's around you. So when Paul talks about this idea of salvation and he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling and do it so that you might shine like the stars because when you shine like the stars, like people are drawn to that light and they're drawn to the source of that light. They start to take on the effects of that light. But wait a minute, didn't we just say work out your salvation with fear and trembling? Aren't we trying to get rid of fear and, and trembling? Well, this kind of fear that, that Paul's talking about here it's like that kind of fear when you're standing on the, the, the rim of the Grand Canyon, which I've done before, and you look out and you're like, this is crazy, how amazing and huge and beautiful this is. It's amazing. And if I were to step out right now and, and put my foot out there, I would surely die, right? I would just drop a few thousand feet and splat on the ground. I mean, it's incredible, this, this reverence, this awe. It's the same thing I feel when I go to the zoo with my family and I see the lions in there. I'm just like, look at the power, look at the beauty of that animal. And if it weren't for this glass partition, I would be lunch. It's this reverence, like, just, whoa. It's not fear like, oh, I'm going to get killed right now. It's, wow. And he talks about fear and he talks about trembling, trembling. What's that about? Have you ever seen a kid or have you ever been a kid on Christmas morning? Right? They are vibrating like 160 beats a minute. Like they're just insane, right? Three o'clock in the morning and they're just, can we open presents now? Can we open presents now? Can we open presents now? <laughs> like, dear God, no, no, we can't. Go back to bed. And then they climb into your bed and you have to wait. And anyway, that kind of trembling, that kind of sense of wonder, sense of anticipation. So Paul is talking about the fact that in light of who God is, in light of what God has done, reverence and wonder are to mark how you work this out, how you make this real in your life. And he goes on to talk about, so, so yeah, don't grumble, don't argue, don't like just fight for your opinions. Don't do all, like, be humble the way that Jesus was humble. He made himself a servant for everybody. That's how he demonstrated what is God like. Oh, he's like a servant to everybody. There's a lot of freedom in that, isn't there? You don't have to prove a point. You get to just overflow. There was a picture uh, that I want to show in here just a minute, not quite yet, that... Um, a friend of mine, uh, his, he, he goes to the Holy Land a couple times a year, and he takes a group of adults, and they call it the Global Immersion Project. And they go over there, and they kind of learn firsthand, first person. This is not a tour in a bus. This is like on the ground with, with real families, real lives. And one of his acquaintances there had taken this picture. And in this picture, um, there was a, uh, the, the, the place has just been reduced to rubble. This is somebody's home. But somehow, somehow, their whirlpool tub was still functioning. And so this, this good father takes his two daughters, and this is the result. Here's the picture. And it's, it's hard to see in this screen, but that, that first daughter, especially close, like these just have these giant smiles on their face. This is, this is salvation. Your very good father has stepped into the midst of the chaos, the rubble that is all around us. It's not cleaned up yet. And he goes, you're my kid. I'm going to clean you up. I'm going to show you joy. I'm going to shower you with affection. It's out of that overflow that people are going to see and know me more. Our salvation is very good news, not just because we're saved from something, that's good, but also because we're saved for something. 
Because of that, we rejoice. So Jesus, I pray together with my brothers and sisters, would you restore to us the joy of your salvation? Restore to us the joy of your salvation. May we become people who are marked by joy. God, will we become known for our joy among our friends, our family, our coworkers? Not in a should, okay, I gotta, now I gotta be joyful, grit my teeth and be joyful, but God, that we would have such a sense of being delivered from ourselves that we couldn't help but, but shower that on others. I pray that in this way you would revive this church, the churches around the area, the communities, the tribes, all that is represented just in this area. God, bring your peace, bring your reconciliation. Bring your salvation in the midst of this brokenness. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.